0: Welcome back for another episode of Horror Cats and Witch Hats. This is your host, Kens. And today, Katie is not here because we are doing kind of like a Father's Day special. And so we invited the Father of the Day, I guess. <laughs> uh, introduce yourself
1: uh, Tyler, Mackenzie's wife.
0: Just <laughs> kidding. <laughs>
1: Just kidding, <laughs> Mackenzie's husband, and what a fitting movie for a Father's Day, because clearly <laughs> the couple in this movie hate each other <laughs> with a passion, so uh, interesting choice for a father's introduction.
0: Yes, we definitely <laughs> picked the movie before we figured out it was Father's Day. Uh, this is not a good example of a good dad.
1: <laughs> but it's alright, we'll, we'll roll, roll with it, we'll be okay.
0: Do you want to introduce the movie for this week
1: yeah so this week's movie is things heard and seen it is a just a netflix film right like it was directed and done I'm on netflix
0: pretty sure it's a netflix original
1: netflix original that's what i was talking looking for uh yeah came out in 2021 that sounds weird <laughs> or is it, instead of saying 2021 yeah it's weird 2021 yeah i guess that is weird <laughs> 2021 2021 whatever same thing um <laughs> the cast. Kansas notes, that's pretty good. It says cast. Shitbag human being George Clare <laughs> was played by James Norton. <laughs> Middle name Joffrey.
0: Which I only put in there because I feel like Joffrey normally would be just a normal name, but thanks to Game of Thrones it's been spoiled. For yes, everybody.
1: everyone living these days knows that Joffrey is an asshole. Um Do you want to read through all of it? The cast, the main character?
0: No, well, you skipped some stuff, but that's okay. This is his first time, folks.
1: Yes. All right, well, she'll take it from here. My
0: notes, as Katie has noted before, are complicated and all over the place. Let's
1: start over. (laughs) Reintroducing the film, Things Heard and Seen, came out in 2021 on Netflix. Go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, this is considered a gothic horror, supernatural, haunted house type film, although it's less haunted house than it is just angry couple. (laughs) It was directed and written by Sherry Springer Berman and Robert Pulsini. They are a married couple. They've done all their projects together. Uh, They did The Nanny Diaries with Black Widow. Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah.
1: Yes. Oh, how could you forget that name? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the body you don't forget. The yes. name is replaceable. True.
0: Uh, this movie is also loosely based on the novel by Elizabeth Brundage, "All Things Cease to Appear," which is kind of a less awkward title, but they do use the title of the movie in the movie. So, yay! <laughs> we love a good reference.
1: An ode, homage to the original, I guess? An ode to the original?
0: A homage.
1: homage.
0: So, the cast. um, The father in this movie, who is not a good person, or a good dad, or a good husband, or just anything good in this world. uh, George Clare, played by James Norton. He is a British actor, and hasn't been in a lot of American things. They, he is married to Catherine Clare, who's kind of the main character. is played by Amanda Seyfried. Everyone basically knows who she is. They have a daughter named Franny, played by Anna-Sophia Heger. Hedger?
1: Hagar? <laughs> H- H- Hedger? Hodor? Hager? <laughs> Hodor. <laughs>
0: uh, there is a college student that George Clare has an affair with named Willis and that is played by natalia dyer she is the sister in stranger things
1: which is weird seeing her outside of stranger things and especially in this context for kind of how she's portrayed in this movie
0: it's a very opposite
1: it is very different yes
0: she's in another netflix movie but i can't think of what it is at the moment
1: i know what you're talking about because i thought the same thing i was like i don't like her not in stranger things (laughs) you need to
0: complete stranger things before you move on yes (laughs) Just like i was watching a movie with a game of thrones character in it Maisie who plays uh pff, the badass
1: macy williams plays yeah. uh uh aria. aria there we go
0: and i don't it's weird seeing her outside of anything other than game of thrones yeah there's a professor who sees through the bullshit of george claret that he works with named justine sokolov and she's played by rhea Seahorn. i hadn't really recognized much of her works personally
1: the only reason i know her is because she's in Better Call Saul, which is uh is about the lawyer from Breaking Bad, the one that helps him. Oh, uh, like the prequel um, yes, series. Yes, the prequel series to like where he kind of got started. Um, but then I also confused her at the same time with the mom from the show that you watch, uh, where they talk really fast and no one talks like that. In she isn't
0: like anything i don't like know her.
1: at first i was like is that her and then i realized no that's not her
0: he's talking about gilmore girls i can't think of her name yeah, the mom. also bad santa that's what she's in. yeah she's in bad santa she looks way, way better nothing. in bad santa she looks nothing like her i don't know kind of you need a side by side because you whack
1: well that's why I, once i realized like no that's not her
0: you gray gray okay whatever together. uh and then there is a teenager who was a previous resident of the house that they live in named Eddie Lux, and he's played by Alex Neustadter.
1: Neustadter, probably.
0: Did it to I don't know. Now, again, I didn't really recognize him in anything. Those are the major players in this movie. And, synopsis. Uh, unlike the Conjuring ones, I am not doing a blow by blow, detail by detail. Uh, this will be a quick over overall, I guess. So, it opens in the winter of 1980, and a man is parking his car in the garage where a blood-like substance is dripping from the ceiling onto his car. He wanders inside, finds his daughter playing alone, and I think in the movie she's... Is she three to five, somewhere? She's not, Somewhere around no, there. She's like five or six. Yeah, so she's, she's still talking. very young. Okay. Uh, and then it... Flashes back to earlier that year and you are introduced to Catherine and George Claire who moved from the city to a historic dairy farm in upstate New York for a university teaching job that George got. He is an art history professor and she used to do art restoration, I think was what her deal was. Uh, Catherine starts noticing weird haunting things happening about the house, about the house. But her family... Don't believe anything that she says because they just say, "Oh, it's because you have an eating disorder," and they continuously use that to discredit everything that she says. Uh, she gets isolated and super bored in this farmhouse, uh, so basically she just befriends the two boys that offer to take care of her yard and do the maintenance, which happen to be the two boys that used to live in that house. George, you find out, is an awful human being and. Very Ted (laughs) Bundy-like. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uses his looks to uh, get people to follow him.
0: He is a lying narcissist with extreme (laughs) charisma, which is upsetting. Uh, He has an affair with a student who's Willis, and you find out that he never actually got his PhD, which is required to be a professor, and forged the recommendation to get this job. He also stole and he basically stole the identity of his cousin, which he murdered and claimed that all of the paintings done by his cousin were his own. So that was just like an added touch of how awful he is.
1: Is it that he murdered his
0: cousin? They went on a sailboat and he mysteriously drowned. Oh yeah. Cause he
1: was with him on the sailboat. Huh? Mm-hmm. You're right. True.
0: And Catherine, meanwhile has uncovered that her house is haunted by the women who were murdered by their husbands in that house before her. She finds a book that said they were all labeled as damned and, like, that's why they were murdered, but they don't really expand on that. She befriends George's boss, who's the Dean of the school. And he offers to do a seance in the house and she figures out that the generations of women ghosts or whatever that are living there are like there to help her. They're male- non-malevolent.
1: Non-malevolent.
0: Benevolent. Yes. There we,
1: yes, go. There we go. That's the
0: word. George's boss finds out that he lied, and so George tricks him onto going on a sailboat. Well,
1: it's not that he tricks him. He sees that he's about to go out sailing, and then is like, I'm sad. I like sailing. And then he's invited onto the boat.
0: Okay, he manipulated his way onto the boat. (laughs) There we go. There. And then uh, the professor mysteriously drowns, AKA George killed him. And that is pretty much when his co worker, uh, Justine. Justine, you write, um, who has been sniffing up his bullshit this whole time, really confronts him. And so he runs her off the road, thinking she died, but she is in a coma in the hospital. Catherine figures all this out and tries to leave him. He comes home, figures out she's leaving, axes her to death in their bedroom, goes downstairs where Eddie, one of the boys who used to live there, is babysitting. Is it Eddie or the baby? It's the younger one. It's the
1: younger brother.
0: The younger brother is babysitting, and he says, oh, she's tired. Don't disturb her. Watch the baby. I'm going to work. And then you catch up to the opening scene, which is where he is coming home to the garage, Goes inside, his baby's plane by herself. And then he runs to the neighbor houses and like, My wife has been murdered! And thinks he's getting away with it. But then... Uh, I keep forgetting her name. Justine. Justine. Wakes yes. up and is instantly like, George! It was George! So then he tries to sail away to freedom, I guess. Where he gets swallowed up by a George Enos painting, which was the author that he like studied most heavily. And in the final shot of the film, the dead wives in that house are saying in unison, because of you, we are joined in spirit. Because of you, our powers grow from tiny drops to an endless sea. And that's how it ends.
1: Yeah. Kind of a wild ending. I really wanted him to be like caught And taken a trial or you know something along those lines but i guess he was the one that ended up being damned
0: it's a very intellectual movie
1: (laughs) yeah there's a lot of deep deeper meanings to this film
0: they reference a lot of famous painters and paintings Mm -hmm. philosophy
1: speaking is hard i know
0: i know that's why they couldn't call it the philosopher's stone because we can't say it in america exactly
1: (laughs) sorcerer is much easier to say
0: but, uh, so our goal is to kind of go through some of that deeper meaning stuff so that if you haven't watched it already or you have, maybe you can understand it a little better.
1: Yeah, cause that was definitely a quick synopsis. There's obviously a lot more that happens and it's pretty captivating and intriguing throughout the film. But this information that's about to come out is more interesting, I think.
0: So one of my favorite things about this movie is when the, Filmography, I guess, is what you would call it. Um it's just like it's gorgeous thematically. They do the a lot of landscape shots that mimic the paintings that you see throughout the film.
1: Very picturesque.
0: And you can clear like the first time watching it, you can clearly tell that something is up, but you just you kind of don't know whether it's the house that's evil or what's going on. So it's good. I like that. Yeah. The ending was certainly kind of a twist for me. So to kind of dig into the details, one of the big paintings that we talked about or the painters that gets talked about quite often throughout the film, his name is George Enos and George, the evil character basically from this movie, he was supposed to have done his doctoral degree studying him or his dissertation. And they reference his paintings a lot. So he was an American landscape painter, born May 1st, 1825 in Newburgh, New York. He was the fifth of 13 children.
1: Jesus Christ. One child enough. <laughs> 13, oh man.
0: Imagine being the dad of 13. I
1: wouldn't be the dad of 13. <laughs> that is not a Father's Day I would enjoy. Oh, man, I had a, I'd had have a year-long vacation every year <laughs> for the rest of those 13 children's lives. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: too many. Way too many. In his teens, he worked as a map engraver in New York City, during which he caught the fancy of a French landscape painter, Regis Guignot. I'm assuming is what his name is. And he started studying under him uh, for landscapes, because that's what his specialty became. He was inspired by the old painting masters. He attended the Hudson River School, which we talk about later is the area that this movie was actually filmed in. And he also studied at the Barbizon School of France. And finally, the Theology of Immanuel Swedenberg also inspired him whose, quote, spiritualism found vivid expression in the work of Enos's maturity. <laughs> Whatever that means, I'm not artsy-fartsy, I don't understand those things. Oh, oops, hit my microphone. But Emanuel Swedenberg is the philosopher or theologist that is also heavily referenced throughout this film. So we'll go into that too. He says that a fellow Swedenborgianist... That's an awkward title.
1: Swedenborgianist?
0: I don't know. The Bergens. (laughs) 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 William James inspired his art with his idea of consciousness as a stream of thought and how mystical experience shapes one perspective towards nature, which I think is pretty prevalent throughout this film, like that whole idea. Yeah. Uh, He opened his first studio in New York in 1849. He got married to Delia Miller, who died like a few months later, so that's upsetting. But don't worry, because he remarried the next year to Elizabeth Abigail Hart and had six children.
1: Again, way too many children. I Like, no. One and done. <laughs> we won.
0: Half a dozen. <laughs> yeah. Too many. If it has its own title, it's too many. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh,
0: one of them... Of those six kids, also became a notable landscape painter. So, I guess that was kind of cool. Nobody talks about what the other ones did. So, In 1851, a patron sponsored Enos's first trip to Europe to paint and study. So, I think if you want to be a patron, just go ahead and send us your money. And we would be happy to go to Europe and watch movies and record there for you.
1: (laughs) Sure. I mean, I'll just go with obviously to watch you guys record but (laughs) I'd be willing to say I'd go into like one of the haunted houses or where one of these films happened to film we can
0: come up with a fancy title like traveling manager associate
1: you gotta make me feel delegate needed to actually be there and that I'm contributing when in reality I'm just enjoying
0: you carry the equipment Whatever fancy title for that you want to come up with there we go what do they call that in the credits of a movie (laughs) uh
1: bag boy (laughs) i don't know (laughs) groupie (laughs) yes there you go there we go
0: an outspoken abolitionist enos tried to enlist in a massachusetts regiment during the civil war but he failed the physical examination i'm not really sure what he failed i didn't think their physical exams were all that particular for the civil war so it must have been pretty extensive i guess yeah
1: it was probably something Obviously pretty extreme, because they were taking anybody at that time. <laughs> I know. Like, can you pull a trigger? Can you see? Can you walk? All right, cool, here we go.
0: Pretty sure they were just letting people just run up and join. Probably. But, I don't know. Uh, because he couldn't fight, he ended up organizing rallies and frequently frequently gave speeches to drum up donations and volunteers. Some of his paintings of the 1860s reflect the dichotomy of the turmoil and quote, renewed sense of national optimism that the war engendered, unquote. And it also turns out that in 1867, he painted the Valley of the Shadow of Death, which is probably the most seen of his paintings throughout this film and is the painting Loosely depicted at the very end, that he like sails off into. That's the one that's
1: on the book cover, right? Yes. Um, when he's yeah, the book that he's given to read.
0: Yes, and it is no, don't want to say that. This is the surviving one of three paintings commissioned to be Ennis's only series of paintings representing the Swedenborgian doctrine. They actually found pieces of another painting from this series, like I think there's like three chunks, and they restored them and put them together, and somebody has it in a private collection somewhere.
1: So like it was the three separate pieces when all put together, completed the painting, or was it just...
0: So there's three separate paintings in this series. Yes,
1: and then one of those.
0: And in one of the painting, they found three pieces of the painting. And we're able to piece it together to make almost one whole painting.
1: Almost the whole entire. Okay, gotcha.
0: And that painting is called The New Jerusalem, so I imagine it's the one that comes after the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Uh, Collectively, the series is called The Triumph of the Cross. And according to an essay by the Met Museum, the Shadow of the Valley of Death depicts the pilgrim's journey to manifest the transition from the desolate quote natural realm illuminated only by a glowing cross in the sky to the verdant spiritual realm or the new jerusalem which is kind of what emmanuel swedenborg uh, basically it's like their version of a heaven from what i understand that's like a very
1: very loose interpretation
0: non-nuanced interpretation yes (laughs) So, um the Valley of the Shadow of the Death does have that cross that you see which is upside down in the film at the end.
1: Yeah. Okay. Right? Because the actual painting right side up in the end, upside down.
0: Because he is not going to the New Jerusalem.
1: He is being damned to hell, going down Yes. Yes.
0: Whatever version of hell they came up with. Yeah. So that kind of explains the ending, if that was confusing. Um, Enos died August 3, 1984, at the Bridge of Allen in Scotland, and I found in a place that his son said he was viewing the sunset when he threw up his hands into the air and exclaimed, my God, oh, how beautiful! And then he just fell to the ground and died. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what a way to go, man.
0: He's like, I've seen it all! <laughs> <laughs> and thus concludes, basically, George Enos.
1: How much do you think that painting got sold for? The one that's in that private collection. The three-piece together.
0: I don't... I can't even imagine paying, like, $20 for a painting,
1: so I don't even know. (laughs) Right? It's insane. People are spending millions on a non-completed painting. Like, oh, yes, look how the colors mash. It's just a painting, man.
0: (laughs) I don't know if there are pictures or like recreations of his paintings so they know what the series looks like to begin with. I couldn't find like a picture of all three of the paintings or if they're just assuming that this is like what the painting is and they pulled the title of it based off his journal entries. I'm not really sure how that works. Okay
1: so it's almost like it's the third one may have never even been seen. They're just...
0: I mean it was seen by people but it got destroyed so I don't know if there's any existing image of what it could have been is what i'm saying okay so uh moving on to the next big talker talked of i guess person what (laughs) of this film the 18th century swedish theologian emmanuel swedenborg he was born january 29th 1688 in stockholm sweden and died march 29th 1772 in london england So he dedicated his life to interpreting scriptures in his own ideas. His father was, I don't know what religion, but he was like a pastor or a father or whatever holy man of their time. And he, oddly enough, was also like a big man of science. And I only say that's odd because nowadays, like it's very important that for your scientific discoveries to be seemed like legitimate you can't bring religion into it at all or people instantly will discredit it whether it's true or not
1: especially back then when science wasn't was still a generally new thing where they didn't really understand everything mixing them all together
0: well back then he mixed things together but it was okay but nowadays, like, if you do that, it's a huge no-no. Okay. That's what I'm saying. So it's, like, it's interesting that he was super, he's a theologist, but he's also a huge man of science. I'm it's really, just,
1: I'm wondering what his religion really was then, because I know, like, most hardcore His religious fanatics wouldn't. Have,
0: well, his belief system becomes its own religion.
1: Oh, okay, gotcha. So. <laughs> Thus Scientology was born. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fortunately, he was a little bit smarter than Yeah. That. Uh, he is also known for starting the first scientific journal that Sweden ever had in 1715. He published works on algebra, chemistry, physics. Like He was a very intelligent man. Pretty smart. And as I said, his beliefs post-mortem, post-posthumously, mm-hmm. right, became really big. So I don't think they were as known while he was alive. But They popped up in a bunch of groups which dedicated themselves to his ideas and created the Church of New Jerusalem, or just New Church. So, and they believed in that New Jerusalem idea that we talked about. That's basically their version of a heaven. And his movement is basically, and... I am not intelligent enough to understand these things, but the idea that there is continuity between the natural world and the spirit world, uh, to me, the best way for me to envision this is The House on Haunted, I'm sorry, Haunting of Hill House, the Netflix TV series, where in the house, it's just all the timelines kind of working together. So like their spirits are just there, not good or bad, Mm -hmm. but just everything's happening together. That's kind of my envision of that.
1: A good analogy, I think. Yeah.
0: Could be wrong, but who knows? Probably wrong. Let's be (laughs) honest. (laughs) Uh, The dean and boss of George in the movie gives him a book, which Tyler referenced earlier, and Catherine's the one who actually reads it, and it is called The Heaven and the World of Spirits and Hell from Things Seen and Heard by Emanuel Swedenborg. We love the title of the movie when it's used in the films.
1: You always gotta point out when the title of the film is referenced in the film. It's like a necessity. Like, oh, they said it, there it is. That's why they (laughs) called it this.
0: But the title, that part where it says things heard and seen, it's super tiny and her thumb covers it up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, look at the length of that book title. No one wants to say anything that long anyway. Come well, on, guy.
0: And they switched it from things seen and heard to things heard and seen, heard and which is seen, a little yeah. bit awkward.
1: Yeah. It is weird to say things heard and seen.
0: Yeah.
1: No. I had to double check it. <laughs> I was questioning myself. Like, <laughs> just reconfirm. Like, is it? am
0: I saying that right? Additionally, in the movie, Jordan Floyd kind of spell out that Swedenborg believed that every living being has a spiritual counterpart that is just as relevant as the physical one. So all those spirits that are in the house are there naturally, I guess. I don't really know. Again, beyond my scope.
1: Much like the art in this film, it's hard to interpret things. I you know. just kind of have your own idea of how it's supposed to be. And more often than not, it's wrong. <laughs> then you get some pretentious asshole with a glass of wine and like no, it means this. Like, I didn't know that. <laughs>
0: subjective. Art <Yes>. is subjective. <laughs> very
1: subjective. You're drinking wine, I'm drinking tequila, I see it this way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Two very different <laughs> Uh, They use a lot of paintings and artists to foreshadow and spell out the storyline in addition to Enos and Swedenborg. Uh, Some of the other ones that are really obviously pointed out, uh, when they're in the museum, George talks to one of his students about a Thomas Cole painting, which is a painting of a sailor. And he's like, oh, look at him. His hands are off the...
1: Off the... Not the prow, the... the uh,
0: Thing that steers the boat.
1: Yes, Uh, the rudder the rudder. Sure. Right? Yeah. <laughs> a, Why I'm, not? I'm not a nautical individual.
0: <laughs> we we know a lot. <laughs>
1: <And> <laughs> yes. We are experts in this. Very well versed in the things in this world. Yes.
0: You know. Uh so that's kind of just a foreshadow to how he dies basically. Uh Willis his lover when he meets her initially is reading a book about an Italian painting Car- Caravaggio. Which, according to an article on the Looper website, was famous for portraits and dark scene paintings. Additionally, he did commit a murder, uh, which George uses as like a pickup line for Willis, which is a little weird to, I don't know, get somebody, I guess. Yeah,
1: I feel like that's a very, very hit or miss. Like, (laughs) they're either going to be really down for it, like, oh, really? Murder? Or they're going to be like, are you trying to murder me? Go away, creep.
0: But I mean, considering now everyone's in a true crime...
1: Well, yeah,
0: yeah. It'd be a conversation start. Oh, how
1: the times have changed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Historians state that he had a violent outburst, or he was known for violent outbursts, and that he had a disagreement either over a tennis match or a lover. Which, two very different spectrums for me.
1: (laughs) Well, well, it depends on how competitive you are, okay? Because tennis can get pretty intense. All right, so. (laughs) Come on.
0: Uh, Murder over a lover is probably (laughs) far more common than a tennis match. You would think. (laughs) You would think. But either way, he murdered a man named Ranusio Tamosini. And he spent the rest of his days on the run, but he died at the age of 38. So, I guess justice was soon. Not a long life. There's... A lot more referenced in this movie but like we said we're not history buffs I don't understand all of it and there's too much so go look at it yourself <laughs> but those were the big ones um, but I sure can appreciate that the art from George Enos's portraits I mean landscapes are reflected in the filming So fun times and as we said earlier This movie is based off the novel by Elizabeth Brundage, All Things Cease to Appear. The novel is more up front. Oh. Take it back.
1: Rewind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Whenever I do that, I often wish that I could actually say what I said backwards. Like,
1: say it in reverse.
0: But my brain can't do that.
1: Say mom backwards. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Took her a second, though. This is what I'm working with, ladies and gentlemen.
0: <laughs> mother rhythm.
1: Rhythm? Rhythm. Oh, you're saying mother back? Okay,
0: <laughs> yeah. I can't do that that fast. But the, so some of the differences between the book and the movie, the novel is more upfront about the death of Catherine right at the beginning, whereas in this one it's kind of a mystery of what's going on and who died and where the blood's coming from. It has a less linear timeline, it jumps back and forth between the father in like the present day after the wife gets killed and the previous here's how they ended up here type storyline, whereas this one like starts jumping back but then you're in the same timeline till the end. Which was probably a good call because people would have a hard time following all of that. And there is more detail on the history of the home in the book and how the murder affects Franny, which I would have liked some more detail on the house. They basically just say, like we said, hey, husbands kill their wives. For some reason, they've deemed them damned. And they talk about the murder just before they moved in. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that was about it.
1: Yeah, it really doesn't go too deep into it.
0: And there's this, like entity that's feeding off of George's crazed manic phase, but they don't talk about that at all. They only talk about the wives. Well, they that's... don't really
1: talk about it, and then the only time you ever actually get an idea of that other entity is one where they do the seance, mm-hmm. and they're like, there's another spirit here. And
0: it, like, shushes the wife. Yeah, or the... and
1: then at the very end, it's just that dark shadow that kind of envelops George and and the ghost, the spirit of the Amy? what's her name? The... One that's helping out the wife. It references it. It says it a couple times. I just can't remember the name. But that's the only time you ever really get the idea of that spirit. And then when it's talking to him at the end before it's like telling him to go get on the boat. Like, go. All yeah, raspy and stuff.
0: It's not clear if it's just kind of there feeding off of him or if it's actually possessing these husbands. It's a little offbeat. But I'm sure the book explains it far better. So maybe I'll have to read it and do like a follow-up yeah. episode. And the book is loosely based on a couple of true stories. So Brundage was inspired to write this story originally by her time living in upstate New York. Her husband also had started a job at a medical clinic, so they found a house for rent. Her daughters at the time were three and six, and they started seeing ghosts and talked specifically about three girls who died in a fire. And as we learned from Katie's Signs You're Haunted in the Conjuring 1 episode, children seeing imaginary friends is a hot no-go.
1: Yeah, pretty much. That's why Connor references his imaginary friend. He's like, his name's Blobby. So I know it's not an actual human. I think of like the Blob from Hotel Transylvania. Which is
0: who he's talking about. Yes, and I'm
1: like, as long as it's that, we're good. We don't need to move.
0: So... Connor, sometimes he'll come upstairs when he doesn't want to go to sleep and say, I'm scared. And one, we know he's not actually scared. He's just...
1: Being a kid and doesn't want to go to bed.
0: He's stalling. But I'm always... Like, I never want to shut him down until I give him an opportunity. So I'm like, what are you scared of? Because the day he's like, there's somebody in my room or there's something in my closet. He is not sleeping in there, and we are doing, like, a cleanse or some shit. I don't care. But it's happening. That's when
1: we'll finally go to church. <laughs> That's when he gets baptized. Yes.
0: <laughs> but, anywho, <laughs> she, the author, wanted to portray ghosts as haunted souls and not just evil chaos-creating things, which is how they are most often... Portrayed. And I feel like the haunted souls part is how I've always thought of them, like... They might become evil because of whatever pre-life happened, but not all of them are just evil. That's the idea of, like, people are lingering because they died suddenly. Or... Yeah,
1: have something left that they need to do or accomplish. or
0: yeah. yeah, they aren't inherently evil. And then she ended up combining that personal history with the murder, true life murder, of Kathleen Krosenek in 1982. So, basically, the rest of this episode is a deep dive into that true-life murder, because we love true crime. And apparently, we can't watch a scary movie that doesn't have some sort of tie to a true crime.
1: Of course. (laughs) So. Well, I mean, that makes it more interesting as well, at the same time, because you know, like, there's some loose truth to these films, much like the Conjuring films. Like, yeah, there's some loose truth. And clearly, they, you know, Hollywooded it up, but...
0: The most interesting part, I think, is when you find all those similarities and you're like, wow, these crazy-ass people, like, truly existed. Yeah. Which is haunting because part of watching movies, you can be like, okay, this is just a movie, and then you read it's true, and you're like, well, fuck me. You see an
1: entire movie, you're like, wow, that was crazy, and then at the end, rolling credits, based on a true film. (laughs) oh, God! (laughs) Like, please, no.
0: So, basically... Kathleen was found dead in her home with an axe in her head while her three-year-old daughter was alive somewhere else in the house. So it's just, it's very, very similar to the movie. But the full story is that Kathleen, I'm sorry, Kathleen Crossenek was born, Kathleen Schlosser. She was a member of the homecoming. <laughs> that was me trying to rewind.
1: Yeah, <laughs> okay.
0: I'm reading the word backwards. I still can't do it. <laughs> so she was a member of the homecoming court at her high school in Michigan. She was very, like, just outgoing and friendly and genuinely kind, is what she was described as. Her future husband, James Crossenek was also in that same high school, although they did not date at the time. He was described as shy, pleasant, and athletic. The two did not start dating until they went to college together at Western Michigan University, and they got married in 47. Fast forward to 1982, and they have the three-year-old daughter named Sarah, not Franny, and a house in Brighton, New York, where James worked as an economist at Eastman Kodak. I have no idea what an economist does. Sounds like a very vague title.
1: Yeah, I, just based on looking at that, I wouldn't. What do be you like, do?
0: The economy. <laughs> like
1: I'm an economist. Well, I'm not going to ask any more questions about that. Because, Sounds
0: boring. I yeah. don't even want to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Imagine him at Parents Day. Oh God. Uh, let's see. I so. Some of Kathleen's family have come out and said that she had found out that James had been lying about having a PhD, just like George in the movie, and that's how he had gotten his job in the first place. And on February 19, 1982, James said that he went to work at 6.30am, leaving his sleeping wife in bed alive. He got home from work at 5pm, where he found the garage door and a door leading into the house open. He stated there was glass on the floor, so he, being the doting, selfless, brave husband that he is, ran to find his wife, and he found her in their bedroom with an axe in her forehead, while their daughter was in another room playing. Nice. Um, There was no reference of a babysitter or anything like that, so I imagine that she literally was just in the house with her dead mother for a very long time. I'm amazed she didn't go wandering in there. I didn't really find any a lot about the daughter, to be honest.
1: Well, I mean, it is weird to think that she would just be in there playing and not have thought, like, where's mom? Or gotten I, hungry. I or... haven't been fed. She's... She's four? Three. Three. Yeah, that's a little weird.
0: Maybe she was, like, in a playpen.
1: Well, even then, from 6.30 until he gets home at, what, 5? 5.30? It's a she... long time for a three-year-old to sit in a playpen.
0: <laughs> well if she can't climb out of it like if she's she was in her crib or something yeah. so that's the only thing i can think of as to why she didn't i
1: mean at it. least they portrayed it in the movie that there was the babysitter that came in it was like my wife's ill don't talk to her
0: well and the kid was a little bit older in that movie the baby was a little bit older yeah
1: yeah but
0: yeah i appreciated that it kind of fits his story better than just i left my baby alone
1: <laughs> oh yeah it's an alibi yeah like, oh, the babysitter was there oh okay
0: Uh, So, James, upon finding his child left alone, took the baby to a neighbor's house and was all out of sorts playing the part of a true grieving husband. They, the police, I apologize, the police did enlist psychics to help because remember the 80s was that whole mystic forces, satanic panic era, so psychics were a real big deal. I don't think that the... DOJ handbook had come out yet, so who knows. But they did report that the psychics didn't really give anything useful, and this remained unsolved. They did not find any other DNA in the house other than that of the families. They didn't have anything other than George's, I'm sorry, James's story to go off of, so the case went cold. Which, like we said, is this movie is a lot like... The book is a lot like the movie. I'm sorry. The True Life is a lot like the movie. There's a lot going on. Uh, we did check, though, and I guess when he found the baby, she was in a... I want to say she was like in a blue sweater with a pink sweater over it. Um, in the movie, she's just in her blue nightgown. Yes. So that does kind of make me wonder if maybe the wife... Really was trying to leave with the baby, and that's why she was all bundled up. And let's see. So after the case went cold, James moved around and eventually landed in Peoria, Arizona with his fourth wife, which tells you what kind of man he is. He got away, he potentially got away with this murder for 37 years until November 2019 when James at the age of 69 was indicted by a grand jury on a second-degree murder charge. The FBI assisted the Brighton police in reopening the cold case in 2016. And I don't know what they found that made them think, like, hey, yeah, now we can bring him up on charges, but I guess they found something. Or maybe it was just the lack of finding anything else. (laughs)
1: I mean, maybe. I guess because there wasn't any, may not have been any DNA from anybody else on the scene. Because I guess he tried to portray it as like a robbery gone wrong, something along those lines.
0: I talk about later who they think oh, it okay. is, but yeah, I guess if there's no other, like if his DNA is all over that axe, maybe they are trying to use that. But yeah. it doesn't really say exactly what they have on him, so it might mm-hmm. just not be public record yet. Um, so the defense for James is arguing that it was a man named Edward Larrabee who actually murdered poor Kathleen. He was a convicted sex offender. Um, He had a history of being a serial rapist who confessed on his deathbed in 2012 to killing Kathleen and a music teacher named Stephanie Kupchinsky. If you look at their names, it kind of looks like he just went down like the... (laughs)
1: Through the phone book yeah
0: <laughs> they have odd names both starts with k
1: erin arbok abernathy i hate you <laughs> <laughs> the like, goddamn grinch yes uh
0: this m- s- murder of stephanie happened in 1991 he also reportedly admitted to having done a dozen other awful crimes he got his because he died of lou Gehrig's disease at the age of 59 and so good riddance <laughs> It's just so unfortunate that these men are, like, living basically full lives before. Yeah. Anything like, happens. it really
1: doesn't make a difference at all. Even if they confessed and went to prison for a life sentence, they might be in there for, like, five, ten years, and like, eh, and then they're going to croak. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they live their lives. It's okay.
0: It's upsetting. So, just a brief thing about Stephanie. Stephanie was 27 when she disappeared from her New York apartment on July 31st 1991. They found her car at the Rochester Regional Airport with her wallet and credit cards in the glove compartment. Her checkbook was found on a rural road near a lake that was nowhere near the route she would have taken to get to the airport from her apartment or any other reason. I'm not sure how they ended up on that road and found her checkbook but interesting. Her remains weren't found until seven years later in a totally different county by some kids who were fishing in a creek bed.
1: What a great way to spend the day. Hey, guys, let's go find a dead body on the, on the creek. And they actually find one.
0: Will Wheaton,
1: <laughs> yeah, Will Wheaton
0: was in a movie, Stand By Me, which I've never seen, but I guess it's supposed to be really good.
1: Do they find a dead body in that it's movie? It's
0: kids who go hunting through the forest to find a dead teenager i've never seen the that body one, so of a teenager i don't guess, know i haven't seen it i don't know because i have to watch that one something like that it's on netflix Yeah. until july something <laughs> anyways uh so edward Larrabee had been out of prison for six months before getting a job as a maintenance worker in her apartment at the time i believe he was in prison for either sexual assault or like some sort of other violent crime he claimed to have strangled her and then disposed of the body he tried to strangle a corrections officer at a hospital once, and he was just an all-around douche nozzle, as far as I can tell. Yeah. I can't, I, I mean, I did not find anything that actually tied him to Kathleen.
1: Other than the <laughs> fact that on his deathbed he said, I killed this individual.
0: Yeah. That's kind of weird. Which isn't abnormal for people to claim things. Yeah. Um, Not saying he didn't have it, but it's also kind of weird to go from strangling and ditching a body, because that was clearly thought out, like he left everything at the airport and all Mm -hmm. that jazz, to just running into a house, murdering a woman at some point in the day and then leaving. Yeah. Um, It just seems a little weird. But all the defense has to do is make a jury think that it was possible with that reasonable doubt, and then he gets to walk free. Allegedly if he did this, allegedly. it was alleged. Alleged. So in December of 2020, the defense moved to have the case thrown out because an expert testimony by pathologist Michael Baden explained that the role, or he tried to explain the role body temperature plays in determining the time of death, which is not a precise science. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that. But he mentioned that the electric blanket that was on their bed may have slowed the temperature change insinuating that she had been killed earlier than they had originally thought which goes against his story of she died after 6.30am. He's saying it's possible that she could have died before then but that all depends on if the electric blanket was on or not the report written at the time by the sheriff said that the electric blanket was off so they did document that they did a good job at the crime scene I guess They are also saying that Baden made a mathematical error when relaying the estimated time of death to the grand jury, which contradicted his original report done at the time. And prosecutors have enlisted many other expert opinions who say that there is a possibility she was murdered before 6.30 am. However, some of the key witnesses have died since this murder happened and Of course, there were missing documents. Not
1: only did he live a full life, he outlived other witnesses (laughs) to continue living this full life. And then even when it was brought up, like, no, you probably did it. There was no evidence. Like, they couldn't couldn't pin it on him still. He's just, he's doing just fine. What a dick. If it's Uh, true. Allegedly. Yes, uh, he's an alleged dick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A soft one. A soft dick. (laughs) I mean, he's still a dick because he lied, he's clearly not a great husband he just may not be a murdering dick
1: yes there we go a
0: slaying dick if you will um he had another hearing on february 23rd 2021 because of course covid happened and everything got pushed back uh this one was meant to determine if they should continue with the original indictment or if it was going to get thrown out it looks like his trial got delayed again because of covid and he is currently out walking around on a hundred thousand dollar bail his pre-trial is set for the end of this month oh man so it sounds like they might be going through with it
1: i was like i mean this would definitely be worth following up on and putting out information like what actually ends up happening because that would be interesting to know if it comes down to it that he was uh, actual like indicted on charges
0: so what I just heard is Tyler's going to put in the effort no. to follow up on this
1: <laughs> and report no. it. No, Not my job.
0: And that is basically the true story part of it. So he didn't sail off into oblivion, which is kind of nice because that case would have been left open, basically. Uh, but he unfortunately may get away with it. allegedly did this, possibly. But yes.
1: He probably did it.
0: <laughs> the movie was filmed in 2019 in the Hudson Valley property owned by the directors. They, I guess, bought this house and they were like, wow, well, we love this property. Let's wait to, for the perfect movie to come up where we can film mm-hmm. it here. And they just so happened to pick a movie that had to do with painting.
1: This exact scenario. Interesting.
0: Uh, so... Some of those paintings that George Enos did, like I said, I think you can kind of see them come through in the filming, because it is where he went to school for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other movie that was filmed in this area was The Quiet Place. Apparently it's becoming quite to the spot.
1: I guess so. You still need to watch the second one.
0: I still need to watch the first one.
1: That too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and... That was all I had for that one. I didn't really have any big Easter eggs. We kind of talked about all the intellectual stuff. Did you have anything?
1: Not really. I mean, like you said, we hit the main topics. Um, yeah, that's about it.
0: To be honest, once I found out that the ghosts were benevolent, I was like, meh. A typical husband movie. It's always, always that guy. <laughs>
1: yes, definitely.
0: Privileged white guy. <laughs>
1: I just, I hated throughout the film that he just continued to get what he wanted. The the husband did. It's like, God damn, like this guy, like and on so many different levels. And then he just covers his ass. Like with the, the student, like he's covering his ass. And then when he has the audacity to go back to that museum and gets caught up by his prior professor, mm-hmm. he's like, Oh well, why are they calling you professor? It's like, oh, it's just a joke. It's like, and then he, and so being the professor, I kill that guy. I'm like, gone, he's gone. He
0: becomes the acting he, dean. Yes,
1: because he fills in for the guy that he kills. Like, man.
0: Which he, is the one thing in the movie that I'm like, that wouldn't happen because he was only there for a few months. Yeah, it would never happen. <laughs> so <laughs> but, many other
1: people would have taken precedence. But
0: also, he was just that charismatic.
1: Yeah. That well, that's he, why I kind of like Ted Bundy-ish because he's mm-hmm. just very personable and like people are want to approach him and be like, oh, hey, hello. Like, yeah, I want to know they, you.
0: And I'm sure had he gone to prison in the movie without that survivor, uh, he probably would have had tons of people be like, no, he wasn't this kind of guy, just like with Ted Bundy.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, he definitely did cover his tracks well. Like he wasn't dumb. I mean, in in no way would I say that he was a dumb individual. Like he knew what he was doing. He knew what he had to do to get away with it, setting Mm -hmm. it up to make it look like it was a robbery for the murder at the end. I mean, he
0: gets away with two other murders, basically, so. Yeah. Uh, Almost three. The upsetting, or another upsetting part, I don't know where I was going with that. I had a thought, and then I got sidetracked.
1: It's all right. It's been a long day.
0: What was I going to say?
1: Talking about murders, getting away with them.
0: Oh, but as someone watching the movie, and you know you're looking for evil things to happen, you say, wow, every single thing he is doing is a red flag. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, just put the goddamn dots together. Yes. All red flag. Because there's a part where he he's clearly isolating his wife, mm-hmm. which is a huge red flag in relationships and, like, abusive relationships. And he continually points out that she is – uh, what did I say? She has an eating disorder, and she needs to focus on herself, and her friend is obsessed with her, and she can't talk to her anymore. And
1: yeah.
0: he It's just, like, all those red flags.
1: It's definitely the kind of movie where it's, it, it's worth your while to watch it a second time, like, shortly after watching it, because, like, yesterday – was it yesterday two days ago when i rewatched two days ago Saturday. um like rewatching, watching i was like i'm glad that i did because i knew what to expect and then i was picking up on those cues like god this guy's a fucking asshole yeah so definitely worth watching a second time shortly after watching it the first time if you haven't watched it a second time <laughs>
0: uh but yes good movie highly recommend and have one more thing for us to close out since Katie isn't here to do it we are going to do the this month in horror history because we didn't do it through any of our conjuring so real fast June 13 1946 Jason Voorhees is born to Elias and Pamela Voorhees what an unfortunate date <laughs> you just you never know what your kids gonna grow up yes. to be uh, Friday June 13th of course the events of Friday the 13th occur 1979 And June 14th, 19, wow, a whole lot of 1979s. June 14th, Jason, having never drowned, witnesses his mother's death at the hands of Alice Hardy and takes her severed head, what a pleasant image, as well as several articles of clothing and the machete that killed her. Gross. (laughs) Put it in a shadow box (laughs) for the mantle. Yes. June 1989, the events of the Dream Child occur.
1: What's the Dream Child?
0: I don't know. This is Katie's list. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I'm sure it's great. June 14 through the 17th, 1999, the events of Freddy's dead occur. After June 17, 1999, Freddy's begins to search hell for the most evil soul to help her resurrect him. June 21st through the 24th, 2000, the events of Final Destination
1: great movie
0: June 2005 the events of final destination three occur I wonder when the events of the second one are that's the one that like probably haunts people the most because that's the yeah. log
1: yeah the one the log trailer yeah. like that people will not drive on I still don't do it like mm-hmm. if I can help it I don't get behind them. it's
0: a mass PTSD for an entire generation yes yeah and let's see June 13th through the 14th 2009 the events of Friday the 13th the 2009 version occur. And June 13th, oh, sorry, and then just in general, at some point in the month of June, 13 ghosts, Jean, was captured from the hospital. That's the mother that was burned to death in the remake of the version.
1: Gotcha. Okay.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um, basically, any summer movie you can think of, so I know what you did last summer. Those events happened in either June or July. Um... Oh, never mind. I have a list in front of me that says those happened in July. So Good job. Yeah. But basically, all your camping horror films. All the
1: summer camp films. Yes. Yes.
0: Uh, probably The Black Lagoon. I think that's a camping one. The Lake Monster. Those kind of movies. Any of those. June. We'll find some more. And thus concludes this Father's Day special of a awful father. <laughs> yeah,
1: seriously, God. <laughs> Who
0: I guess just like abandoned his child. By the way, we never really talked about that. Uh, yeah. So you can find us on Instagram at.
1: That's a great question. <laughs> no, to... Good lead. Right, Instagram at whore under cat, underscore cats, <laughs> under, underscore witch hats. Right.
0: Yes, horror yes. underscore cats underscore witch hats, which is also our Facebook tag. You can find us there and follow us. We yes. put all of our show notes and everything on there as long and whatever you can contact us, blah, 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 blah. Send us a Gmail with your movie requests, reviews, and notes to...
1: Horrorcatswitchhats at gmail.com.
0: Nailed it. And finally, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Don't haunt us. Um, Preferably. Yeah, please don't. And wherever you're listening to this podcast so katie will be back for our next episode if you liked tyler and you want him back let us know i guess he lives here so
1: yeah it's like i got nothing better to do with my life
0: whatever he loved it thank you listeners and you have to take katie's role of the meow at the end do i just perfect is that it yeah okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) see you